All right. Morning, everyone. Once again, thank you for being here for the study of the Word of God. And as we go through this material, especially in this section, you know, I understand that when we learn and look at and study this kind of information, this, if you would, ethereal stuff, it sometimes doesn't seem to connect with us as concretely as how to relate to someone when they've harmed you, when they've lied about you, what to do, what not to do. Those are the concrete things of life, and those are the things that we connect with. But what we're dealing with in this entire prayer of Paul from verse 9 to 20, but then accentuated in verses 15 to 20, is the reason, is the empowerment. This is the foundation upon which our life in Christ is based. And if we are missing these fundamentals, which to many of us this morning and tomorrow, next week, are going to sing, well, we know that, we know that, I know that. But what the Holy Spirit is doing through this apostle is not telling these people what they don't know. I didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. He's talking to people who know that, Judy. But what he's doing is he's saying to them that there are very fundamental, specific truths, theology about Christ himself that we need to be knowing and settled in and standing in. So when, not if when, not if when the storms of life come, we will be able to stand firmly because the rooting of our faith is in the truth, the theology, the doctrine of the person and work of Christ. So it's critical that we not pass over these things. Well, let's get to the good stuff. This is God's good stuff. All of it is. But this is the first layer of the good stuff, if you would, out of which all the other good stuff comes. And so what we'll do after we finish verse 20, go back and just do a little review of why is Paul emphasizing these issues, the minutiae, the details. Why, you know, why does he say it this way, then say it this way, and come over here and say it again this way? Why is he stitching, restitching, and coming back and stitching again? Because he doesn't want the fabric of our faith to come undone. And so that's why he does it this way. That's why so often you'll see, at least some of us, say something, reiterate, Come back and reiterate again. Now, those of you who are English teachers know reiterate again is redundant, but I do it on purpose. And so, but why do they do that? We've just studied over and over. Because in our life, as we rub shoulders with life, it's like taking the cloth of the material that we are wearing and rubbing it against a rough surface. 
what's going to happen? It's going to be pulling on the threads. Have you had your life being pulled on? Feel unthreaded? <clears throat> and as those threads are being pulled on through life, the danger is that if we don't rethread them, the thing is going to fall apart. And how do we rethread them? We rethread them with the tool of the theology of the truth of God. Does this make sense to you? So, what we're studying these days is God's giving us the tool of truth about Christ so that when we are experiencing any level of dethreading, we can respond by taking up the truth and re-knitting our clothing in Christ, okay? I hope that helps you to see what is going on. And for the other 50 people who are not here this morning, maybe let them know about this. Father, thank you so much for your ministry to us. Thank you for your presence. Thank you so much. You are so great. Your word is incomparable because you are incomparable. Teach us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. This begins the class. That was all free. You didn't have to pay for that. So here we go. One more general comment, and I want to make sure some of you do a good job with this, some of you do not. As we speak, as I just shared some stuff, some of you took notes. Some of you are going to remember what we said. Some of you just sat there. This is your relationship and walk with God. This is not a classroom. Antonio, you're not going to get a test next week, and you're going to stay in the after class because you didn't pass. I'd like to do that, but I can't get away with it here. Please take notes. Please take notes. Because just simply the devil will cause you to forget if we don't do the rudimentary issues of learning. Amen? Amen. Please take notes. So when things are said that are not in the notes, which a lot of it is going to be like that, and sometimes I redo the notes as I did this morning in a few categories, so you'll see some differences. Even this morning, I was out there, Gwen, looking at them. Yeah, I'm going to change this and move that around. And if I did it again tomorrow, I'd change it again because Word of God is a living thing. And so I want to say this in a general way. Verses 15 to 17 emphasize the pre-incarnational ministry of the Son of God. Verses 15 to 17 emphasize the pre-incarnational ministry or work of the Son of God. Incarnation, remember when Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and became a man, he put on our humanity. So, verses 15 to 17, Jesus before he was conceived in the womb of Mary. Verses 18 to 20, the incarnational ministry or work of Jesus. Just want to make sure I did not mention that last week. We're talking about the pre-existent Christ. Well, he's always been pre-existent, but pre-existent as pre-incarnational, and then the pre-existent Son of God in his incarnational ministry. Does that make sense to you? You see what Paul is doing here. The work of creation before time and creating time, and then the work in the church, verses 18 to 20. That's generally what we're talking about. So remember last week, Paul has told us that Christ, remember, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn 
over all creation. By the way, the word should be over all creation, not of, but the emphasis is that Christ is supreme over creation. He is the ruler, the creator over everything. So he is the firstborn over the creation. Not to indicate that some kind of way he was a created being which the Jehovah's Witnesses falsely teach, a lie of Satan, to damn many people who are joining that cult. Wow, that's strong language. Well, of course it is because it undermines the truth about God. He wasn't a created being. He is a creator of all things. And so this morning, what Paul is doing, verse 16, is continu- verse 16 and 17, is continuing to elaborate what does that mean? What is it about this firstborn of creation? What has he done? And this morning, 16 and 17, he'll, we'll discuss that. So Paul will explain the work of this preexistent son in the pre-incarnational ministry. He has brought all things that exist into existence. That's what he's done. That's the work. So let's read these verses and we'll look at them individually. Verses 16 to 17. For by him whom? The beloved son. Remember? Where do you see the word beloved son? For we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's Beloved Son, in whom, you see, that whom, that him, goes back to that noun, although he's been traced out in other terminology. We're going back to the end of verse 13, and we're picking up the Son, him, whom. Do you see how this works? And so all of these pronouns that have anything to do with Christ has to do with him as the Father's beloved Son. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. Remember in Luke 3 and in Matthew 3 at the baptism of Jesus. This is the beloved son of God, the preexistent, eternal son of God, one with the Father for all time and with the Holy Spirit. So by him, by the beloved son, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones and dominions and rulers and authority, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So let's just break it apart and move through it pretty quickly. And again, as we do this, please be conscious that the Holy Spirit teaches us truth for the purpose of bringing us to a place of being able to better walk in faith. And so as you look and listen to these verses, think about your own life, the things that are going on in your life. How many of you today have no difficulty and no stress and strain in your life? You could have gotten your arm broken on that one. We would, you would learn what stress and strain means. Do you see it? How many of us are having any kind of relational whatever with somebody else? Aren't we? Aren't there things? How many? And you see, look, life is difficult because we live in a fallen, collapsed world. Amen? Right? Fallen, collapsed world. Let's see what the Holy Spirit says about this one who lives in us. So as we live in this fallen, collapsed world, we won't lose hope and lose our footing 
because we know that there is someone greater than this fallen, collapsed world so that we can be better, what, anchored. Do you see some of the, 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 the particular reasons for having written this? Paul is writing to the church to protect the church and stabilize the church and minister to the church. So let's look at it. Verse 16, four. The word for right there begins because, because Christ or the beloved son is the firstborn of all creation. Because that word for goes hoit to H-O-T-I, goes back and says, because of what I've already said, he's the firstborn, he's the image, he's the beloved son. Because of that, therefore. So that's just a connective word. Say what I've talked about before, therefore, and I'll go forward. Do we get that? How that works today. He's the image of visible God, firstborn of all creation. Therefore, next word, by him. Next, by him. Now, the word, I'm sorry, in him or by him. The word in the Greek for the word by or in, whichever your translation has, is the word en. That's the Greek word. It can have one or two ways of meaning. Sometimes there's only one of the two. Sometimes it can be either one. There are other examples of this which we won't go into this morning. Romans 5.12 would be one, but again, let's not do that. Uh, I get ahead of myself. Uh, E-N, it can be either locative or instrumental. Now, all that means is this. Locative means what? Location. In Him, the location of Him. Instrumental, meaning by the instrumentality of Him. So, therefore, by Him. He can be the instrument of God by Him, or He can be the location in which this work is done in him. In this particular verse, the emphasis is more location. Paul is locating the issue of creation in Christ. This doesn't mean that he's not saying that he has created all things because he's already talked about that. But now he is getting into a deeper issue. It's not just that Jesus, I'm sorry, that Christ, the Son of God, is the creator. There's something more fundamental. Why is he the creator? Because in him is life and light. In him intrinsically is life. In him intrinsically is light and life. This is who he is. This is who he's always been. And this is who he will always be. And so it's not, you see, so much that God has power, but more fundamentally, why does God have power? Because God in himself is power. Why can God say, let there be light? Why can the word of God, the creator, say, let there be light? Because he is in himself light. Why can the creator issue forth the creation of life? Why can he do this? Because in him is life. He is life. And so you see what Paul is saying here. Let's get beyond or deeper than just what Jesus, I'm sorry, I, wanna, I keep following it up. We're not talking about Jesus right now. We're talking about the Son of God, the eternal preexistent Son. Let's get more fundamental than just saying the preexistent Son has created. Why? Because in Him all creation exists. In Him, in His mind, in His purpose. It has always cre uh, existed. This is not something that God came up with to do something one day because he had nothing else to do. This is and has always been in the mind and in the heart of God. 
our creation, our existence. In fact, Ephesians 1, 4 says, remember, before the foundation of the world, we were in Christ. God knew what he was going to do. God had a plan. It was all worked out from Genesis 1, 1 all the way through to the last word in Revelation 22. All of it was already worked out and completed in the mind of God. Can you say amen? What does that mean for me? That means that when my life seems to be coming undone, I am in the hands of him who has already worked out all the details of my life. Does that settle you? Does it help to, to cause you to be, able to be able to rest in Christ? He's already worked it out. He's not Gordon trying to figure out, what in the world am I going to do with Gordon Cohn? Man, he's such a nut. He's already worked it out, brother. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad he's already worked it out? He's already worked it out, Bob, whatever you're going through, however you act. He's already worked it out, Phil. It's already finished, right? Known unto God are all the works of his hands. All things were created. All that exists has already been created in and by him. Remember what John 1, 3 says. Remember, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, if the Jehovah's Witnesses are right, Jehovah created this lesser God called Jesus, right? Therefore, something was created before this lesser God began to create. Do you understand that? But look what the word says here. He says this. If I can find where I am again, I've lost my way. All things were made through him. Okay, and without him was not anything made that was made. That excludes the possibility that Jesus is a created being. And again, I've said because of life and light are in him intrinsically in his nature, who he is. This is the reason he has the ability, the power, and the will to create all things. So you see, Paul is tying down the loose ends and making the fabric of our faith stronger and tighter as he goes through this listing. Continuing, all things were created. Where? Well, if you're not sure what all things mean, then he says what? In heaven and earth. And if you didn't get that, whether what? You can see them or you can't see them. See, Paul isn't the type just to say all things were created by him. Because someone's going to say, yeah, but that doesn't mean the invisible beings. So Paul says, Holy Spirit giving Paul the wherewithal to do this. All things were created by him. What things? Whether they be where? In heaven and earth, that takes up everything. But if you're not quite clear what that means, it means the visible and the invisible. What Paul is saying here is that the material universe, the stuff that we see and hear and can touch and feel and smell, everything like that has been created by the Father's beloved Son. And everything that we can't see, smell, touch, and feel or whatever, all of that also has been created by the beloved Son of God. 
Now, there are particular reasons why Paul is stressing it this way, which we will see in a week or so. Because of the pressure of temptation upon that church to be drawn into other kinds of philosophies and religions. And what Paul is saying here is, wait, wait. Lest you think this, that, or the other is going to do any good, Christ is absolutely and comprehensively and eternally sufficient. Sufficient. Why? He is the preexistent Son of God who has created all things and has rule and authority over all things. Well, what things? Well, the things in the heavens and things on the earth, well, the things that are visible and invisible, the material universe, the immaterial universe. Well, <laughs> what about the angels and the devils? What about thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities? What about those things? You see, invisible. So he won't stop at invisible. He gets even deeper into this. All that angelic stuff, those angelic beings out there, the Son of God has created every one of them. Now, why do you suppose this is important for us? Because there are too many believers who want unwittingly, because of circumstances, and maybe because of some misunderstanding of the word, who give Satan too much Credence. We need to make sure we understand who he is and what he can do, but always and only within the context that he is a created being and exists according to the will and the glory of God and for the purpose of God in our lives. Amen? We don't want to let him get further than that because if we're not careful, we allow him to go a whole lot further than God will allow him to go. I'm not even finished the first page of my notes. What am I doing? <laughs> this list, this list of thrones and dominions, rulers and authorities includes and refers to all persons and governments. Okay, thrones and dominions and all, you know, kings. and Well, surely it can include President Obama. We know that, so it doesn't include him. Look, church, let's not be foolish. Let's not join in the world, okay? Let's not shake, rattle, and roll at all of these things. Let us be planted on the solid rock that there is a creator in heaven who has created and who is governing to the most minuscule aspect everything, single thing, and person in all creation and will bring it all to his conclusion of a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells among his people for the glory of God forever. Amen? Amen. Let's be that way. Let's not tremble so that our lack of trembling will cause those thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities to tremble because of the power of our God in us. Amen? Let's be that way. So this list includes governments and persons, as well as all angelic entities, whether they be fallen or holy entities. Every person and government, every spiritual being or collection of beings, 
owe their existence to Christ. Can we get that? Exercise their authority under the will of Christ. Can we get that? And function for the purpose of the glory of Christ. Can we get that? Can we remember this when we are under attack and things are coming unraveled and the roughness of relationships and this world seems to be pulling the threads of our clothing apart? Can we step back for a moment and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Christ is in me and I am in him and I have to step back from this rough world, this rough culture, these rough relationships, and remember this about Christ so that remembering it, I can allow the Holy Spirit to use the truth to restitch me so I can go back into that fray better able and equipped to bring about the victory of Christ that he's already won at the cross. Amen? That's right. You see... Christ did not gain or get the preeminency over all the supremacy over all these authorities because he is the pre-existent divine beloved son of God. Because of that, he is and always will be supreme over all things whatsoever and forever. You see why the church needs this? Do you begin to look at your own life or do you know lives of other believers and we need to hear this more and more? This is essential that we know this. This is essential that we live this. <clears throat> this is essential that we believe this. This is essential that we communicate this. This is essential to our walk of faith. Remember that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in all things. Remember, bearing fruit and every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You remember in verse 10, that was the purpose of that prayer of being filled with the, uh, of the will of God, etc. Although the, as the pre-existent son, as the pre-existent son, Christ has always had authority over the creation. Okay, we got that? As a pre-existent son of God, he has always had authority. The authority to create, the authority to maintain, and the authority to put it to an end. He has always will have that authority. Why? He is the divine second person of the Godhead, the beloved of the Father, the preexistent Son. This is why. So although as the preexistent Son, he has always had authority over his creation. In the incarnation, remember, incarnation means in the inception, the birth, the life, In the incarnation, the Son of God partially displays that authority through the man, humanity of Jesus. You say partially, right? You remember, I have authority to take my life up and lay it down. Don't you know that I could call legions of angels? Remember? He has the authority as the Son of God, but he doesn't exercise it except partially in the humanity of Jesus. And so, what do we have here? What do I feel the Holy Spirit wanted to give to us as we go through this? In the humanity of Jesus, in this man, in the humanity of Jesus, the Son of God rules over earthly authorities. 
Remember John 18, 4? Remember the arrest of Jesus? Now, you may not be aware of this, but listen to these words. Then Jesus, knowing that all would happen to him, came forward. Remember the soldiers are coming into the garden. They're all in the, the disciples and Jesus are there and the soldiers. There's a cohort. You know how many in a cohort? How many in a cohort? A hundred soldiers. So we have a whole lot of folks coming here. We have men who are battle-hardened men with spears and swords and weapons and shields and armor. A hundred of these people are coming in with the priests and the Pharisees and, of course, led by Judas. This is a big group of people coming to arrest one man. Isn't it interesting? Don't you even see there Satan's fear? You see? And so they're coming in, and Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, he knows what's happening. He steps forward and says, who are you looking for? Now, most of us would have been, where can I hide? Where can I hide? He did it. Who did it? I don't know. Why are you here? I don't know. He steps forward. The authority of the Son of God in the humanity of Jesus steps forward and says, whom are you looking for? See, we don't see that. I bet we've read John 18 a whole lot of times. We've never seen that this man, this Son of God, in this humanity, he is the one who is orchestrating his arrest. It's not the Jews, it's not the Romans. It's God Almighty who is doing this. So don't fall for this foolishness that the Romans did this and the Jews did that and they put Jesus in a bad place and he had to come out and he got poor Jesus. For this purpose, he says, I have come into the world. This is why I'm here. And this is the same one who lives in us today. Amen? Amen. So what does he say? Verse 5, and they answered, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says in the Greek, ego amy, I am. Now, why is that significant? Because that's the translation of the Hebrew Yah, the name of of this great God who met with Moses and so many other times with the people of God, beginning in Exodus chapter 3 on the mountain of Horeb in the Sinai mountain range. I am that I am. Tell them that I am. Yah hath sent you. Jesus uses this, not the first time, but he, hey, go, Amy, I am. What does the rest of the verse say? They all fell down. The power of his name is the power and the display of his authority. And he doesn't say, I am. He says, I am. Now, had I been there, of course, you know me, I would have bellowed it out that the whole world would have heard it, but I don't know whether Jesus needed to do that. He just had to say, I am. He's confident. He's not afraid. He's not sweating. He's not nervous. He's the son of God in control. I am. Look what happens. And when Jesus said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Can you just see them picking up their spears? What happened, man? What happened? I don't know what happened. I didn't do it. You know, you tripped me. I didn't trip you. You did. The authority spoke. 
And he says again, whom do you seek? You know, get up off the ground. Why are you here? What's going on? <clears throat> and they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these men go. Jesus is telling the Romans and this group of men and soldiers what to do and how to do it. Do you see it? It is an amazing display. At the moment of his arrest, he is in full, absolute, comprehensive control that he has always been in, but we see it really displayed here. Can he do that in our life today? In the humanity of Jesus, the Son of God rules over sin and sickness. Well, let me go, rules over all spiritual authorities. Remember this? Luke, but Jesus rebuked this man who had a demon saying, be silent and come out of him. And then the demon who had thrown him down, you remember, came out. Jesus told demons what to do and where to go. We can tell, well, let's, let me get ahead of myself. In the humanity of Jesus, the Son of God rules over sins and sickness, Mark 2, 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, paralytic, remember the roof thing and all that? Son, your sins are forgiven, but that you may know, and I'm skipping some verses, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, take up your bed, and walk home. He has authority. Where does he get this authority? It is in him intrinsically as the pre-existent son, and he is exercising it in creation and in the activities of his people. In the humanity of Jesus, the Son of God, rules over all religious practices. For the Son of Man is Lord. It has that word... Uh, uh, kurios means master, kurios, over the Sabbath. In the humanity of Jesus, the Son of God rules over nature. Remember when the winds and the waves are going back and forth and they're, Master, don't you know that we're going to drown? And he stands up and he says in Mark, at least, be muzzled, he says to the winds. Be muzzled. You see, he knows this is a demonic activity to try to sink the boat. Be muzzled. Peace be still. And the whole thing shuts down. And the guys in the boat who were afraid of the waves are now more afraid. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey his word? I hope that going through this, the Holy Spirit is saying to you, this area, that area, every area, any area, all areas, for all times, of who you are and what's happening to you are within the context of the authority of my son. You see, do we see examples of what God was after? I'm sorry, he rules over nature. You see, you see something about Adam in here, but I don't have time to go into that. But now Christ has risen from the dead. See, he's no longer walking in the incarnational ministry of the earthly ministry of Jesus. Now he's risen from the dead. Now... We're entering in our study and in some of this, the heavenly incarnational ministry. Remember I said, pre-incarnational ministry, the creation up to verse 17. That's where we are now. And 18 to 20 will be the incarnational ministry. But as we're doing this, I wanted to mention some of the things of his authority in this humanity of Jesus. And so the incarnation has two aspects. The earthly incarnation from the conception to the burial of Jesus, right? And then the heavenly incarnational ministry 
which is the result of Jesus' resurrection and so on. Or even, you know, Father, into thy hands I submit my spirit. That's the heavenly incarnational ministry. The incarnational ministry of Jesus that began in the womb of Mary will never end. It will never end. The incarnation is an eternal work now and will go on and on, at least eternal, beginning from Mary on. It will never stop. So now all authority in heaven and earth has been given to the Lord Jesus who was the risen, ruling, and returning heavenly man. Remember in Matthew 28:18, All what? Authority. Where? In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, wait a minute. What you mean has been given? You told us, Peter, that Christ as the preexistent son has all authority intrinsic to him because of who he is. You see, say, but it's who he is. Therefore, he has authority. He is power. Therefore, he exercises power. He is life. Therefore, he gives life. He is light. Therefore, he sheds light. What Jesus just said has been given. You see, now in the risen Jesus Christ, God has deposited all of the authority in this risen divine Son of God, Son of Man forever. So we can say there is a man today who rules the universe. There is a man today who rules the universe. Okay? It's a man today. Now, I know that, that that may smack in the face of feminists, but you can't say, well, there's a woman today ruling the universe. I'm sorry, but this is just the way God put it together. Any complaints, got to go to God. You just got to go to God. It doesn't say just a non-sexist person having no gender, whatever. It doesn't say that. It says a man. There is a man who rules the universe today. Doesn't make men better than women or anything like that. It just is a display of the what? Of, of the work of God. Now the authority of Jesus has been shared with his church. Why did I go through that list of authority and just a uh, short list? Why? Because the authority that was exercised in the humanity of Jesus by the Son of God is now in us. But this authority is a delegated and a limited authority and will not be exercised in the fullness until the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Remember Titus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all, all lawlessness and to purify himself, a people for his own possession, who is zealous for good works. There's coming a day. Today we exercise authority in the name of Jesus and according to the will of God in a limited way. But there's coming a day that we will rule and reign with him in the exercise of his authority to the full extent for the glory of God. And our flesh and the world and Satan and the culture will not be getting in the way. That's what's coming. Now, all that awaits is the day when in the exalted humanity of Jesus. Remember, Jesus was exalted. You remember that word? Philippians 2, 9 through 11. You remember that? Jesus having obeyed going to the cross because of his obedience to death. Verse 9, wherefore also God has what? Highly exalted him and has given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things, heaven, earth, under the earth. You see, he's summing it up. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
He's an exalted man today. So you see, now we can exercise, or rather, let me say it this way. Now the Holy Spirit will exercise the authority of Christ in us. Let me just say it that way. Over our fallen flesh. Now, isn't it interesting? That's the first one. We want to make sure we can cast out demons and we can get sicknesses and we can do this and that. Well, we can to a certain degree as God gives us the authority and according to his will. But the most basic activity that God gives us fully in Christ and without measure if we will walk in it is the authority over ourselves. So what is the last of the nine words in Galatians 5, 23? Self-control. It means bringing the self under the control and the domination and within the scope of the authority of the Holy Spirit. This is called the fruit of the Spirit. Remember in verse 22. So the most basic issue and activity of authority is not going out there and doing whatever out there. And I'm in favor of doing whatever out there as God leads. We're not shy. But the most basic issue is what? Doing whatever in here. So that as we are in here exercising the authority of God and God is exercising authority over us and we are being brought into moral correspondence with the Son of God Romans 8, 29. Then we are more ready to go out there, having been armored with the full armor of God, you remember in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. And we are the ones that every morning we wake up, Satan sweats. What are they going to do today to damage my kingdom? Rather than what I am afraid he does, I know much in my life and maybe much in the church, when we can wake up, he laughs. Because we have our preoccupation on every Tom, Dick, and Harry thing in the world except exercising the authority over ourselves in Christ to be conformed to the image of Christ in order to work the work of Christ. A whole lot more to say, but they don't give me enough time. And it's probably as well anyway. You see, we're waiting for that day when the God delivers, the Son of God delivers a kingdom to God the Father. All authority, all things were created through him and for, by him. They've all not only been created, I'm going to go through this quickly, through him, but they have been created for the particular purpose of glorifying God. Why did the Son of God create because it was the Father's will that who He is and how He is, His nature and His character, who He is in Himself and how He is, this great triune God who exists in a fellowship relationally in love as the three persons of God or united in such a union as God is one in his being. Remember Deuteronomy 
so that who God is and how God is, that that relational community of func functions within the context or the atmosphere, if you would, or whatever, or in the spirit of love, leading and submitting, loving and respecting. You see, all of those issues that are important among us are in the Godhead. That's why they're significant for us, because they are something about God in this. And so it was the Father's will that he not keep the glory of who he is to himself, but share it with his people. And so Christ, according to the will of God and the timing of the Father, creates all things for him so that in Christ his people may be united unto God so that the relationship that exists within the community of God among these three distinct divine persons may be demonstrated in his people in their relationship among one another for the glory of God because all of this redounds to whose glory? God's glory. Remember what Philippians 2.11 says. Jesus Christ is Lord. What? For the glory of God. And so in the glory of the Son and what He's done, Father, I have glorified You on earth. Remember in the beginning of John 17? Glorify me with the same glory which we had in the beginning. You see, Jesus' desire is to receive the glory as the Creator Redeemer, sustainer, and then the completer, if you would, in the new heaven and earth of all this so that at the end <clears throat> he can hand it all to the Father and say, Father, all of this is because of you, is for your glory. See, it's an amazing revelation, so it's for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things together, hold together. Paul completes his presentation about Christ's supremacy as the pre-existent creator by summarizing, reiterating Christ's absolute and comprehensive pre-existence over the created order before all things. He goes back one more time, before all things. Before anything was, he is. You see, you thought I was going to say he was. Before anything was what? He is. He is, he is the great I am. He is. Then he explains the relationship of Christ to the cosmos. The entire created order, both visible and invisible, material and immaterial, heaven and earth, everything, remember thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities, all of that, is held together, oh, coheres. He is the glue it holds together in Christ. As it was in Christ, locative, the location that the creation exists and therefore can be created because it exists in him according to his will. Therefore, it can be created according to his will. It coheres or holds together in him according to his will. Why? Because it's in him intrinsically according to his will. Christ is the glue of the creation. Therefore, why is Christ sufficient? Because he is the pre-existent divine son of God who has created all things and holds all things together in himself. Remember Hebrews 1.3. All things hold, held together by the word of his power and for his own glory. Next week we'll talk about the incarnational work of Christ. See you next week. <laughs>